if you thought that it was the last time you would see someone, what would you tell them? Now, this isn't like certain, like you're on your deathbed, um, you're about to die, but you have a feeling that this might be the last time that you'll see them. What would you think about to tell them, right? What would you say? What would you want to say? How much, would you tell them how much you care about them? Would you tell them to keep going? Would you tell them the plans for the future? Um, this is what we're going to see Paul do this morning. Um, he's speaking to the elders from Ephesus for what he believes is the last time, which we'll see in a minute. Um, and so Paul's speech here even seems even more crucial than some of his other speeches because this is his last instructions to someone. So we're going to pick it up in chapter 20, um, verse 17, which is on page 987 in the Bible that's right in front of you if you want to go ahead and turn there. Um, but first, we need to get from last week to this week um, and kind of explain what's happening in between because I sort of hit the fast forward button on you because we're not picking up right where we left off. Um, if you remember back to our summary where we did the, almost all of the book of Acts in one thing, we said at the end of each section, there's a summary statement. Um, and we actually had one of those last week that I forgot to point out to you, but it's verse 19, chapter 19, verse 20, that says, in this way, the word of the Lord spread and prevailed. And so that was a summary of what had happened before that. And then after that, we get in verse 21, it says, after these events, Paul resolved by the Spirit to pass through Macedonia and Achaia to go to Jerusalem. And so this is the next section. Um, and what happens between 1921 and where we're picking it up in 2017 is sort of what I would call a travel montage. Um, you know when you watch a movie and it's like the plane flies here and here and they show the dots on the map and he's kind of going from place to place and place and they do it real fast but you go a lot of places? That's sort of what happens in the in-between. It just kind of tells you Hey, Paul went this way, and he went to these cities, and then he came back um, where he started. Um, some important things to note just that happened in there. In the rest of chapter um, 19, there's a guy named Demetrius who um, his business is to make statues of Artemis, which is in um, Ephesus. The temple was there, and so Paul is hurting his business um, because Paul is preaching against Artemis and that there is only one true God. Um, my thought was it's not a very strong business model if one person can come to town and say something about your business and it drops off significantly. Um, I don't know what that says about him as a businessman, but I, one person made a significant impact. And so they kind of have this meeting and say, well, it's going to be okay because our God is real and his is not, and which we know not to be true. And so Paul kind of moves on from Ephesus. Then he goes out um, and then starts coming back to where he was. But he takes a different route back to um, Ephesus, or past Ephesus, actually. Um, because he is in a hurry, we see in those verses um, that Paul is trying to make it back to Jerusalem for in time for Pentecost. Um, and so that's what he's trying to do. So he goes back a different way. Um, and where we pick it up is he's stopped in a city and he's called for the elders of the church in Ephesus to come and visit him so he can give his final instructions. So that's the quick version of what happened in the middle on his journeys. Um, and so we're going to pick it up in 2017. And it says this, it says, Now from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and summoned the elders of the church. And when they came to him, he said to them, You know from the first day I set foot in Asia... 
how I was with you the whole time, serving the Lord with all humility, with tears, and during the trials that came to me through the plots of the Jews. You know that I did not avoid proclaiming to you anything that was profitable or from teaching you publicly and from house to house. I testified to both Jews and Greeks about repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus. And now I am on my way to Jerusalem, compelled by the Spirit, not knowing what I will encounter there, except that in every town the Holy Spirit warns me that chains and afflictions are waiting for me. But I consider my life of no value to myself. My purpose is to finish my course and the ministry I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of God's grace. And now I know that none of you among whom I went about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Therefore, I declare to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all of you, because I did not avoid declaring to you the whole plan of God. Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has appointed you as overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Men will rise up even from your own number and distort the truth to lure the disciples into following them. Therefore, be on the alert, remembering that night and day for three years I never stopped warning each one of you with tears. And now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all who are sanctified. I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that I worked with my own hands to support myself and those who are with me. In every way, I've shown you that it is necessary to help the weak by laboring like this and to remember the words of the Lord Jesus because he said, it is more blessed to give and than to receive. After he said this, he knelt down and prayed with all of them. There were many tears shed by everyone. They embraced Paul and kissed him, grieving most of all over his statement that they would never see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. And so here we have Paul's instructions his speech specifically to the elders at Ephesus, but I think a lot of this could also apply to us, and so that's kind of how we're going to take it this morning. Um, another interesting note is, this is Paul's only speech to believers. All of his other speeches are evangelistic or giving a defense of what he's been doing. This is the only time that he talks directly to believers, so it's a little different than what we see in other places. But I'm focusing this morning on the theme of finish your race, right? That's what he talks about in the middle. I'm here, I'm, my job is to finish my course, and so that's what we're looking at this morning. And I think the first thing we need to do in order to finish our race is first you have to know what's important, right? You have to know what's important along the way. In anything that you are trying to accomplish, it's crucial to know what's important, right? You need to know what the goal is, how to get there, what the steps are, what the obstacles might be, um, what to avoid along the way. All of these things together will keep you on track so that you can accomplish your goal and keep you from going off track. And Paul understands this, and he's passing along in this speech what is most important, what will be the most profitable for them, we see this in verse 20 and in verse 27, right? He says in verse 20, you know that I did not avoid proclaiming to you anything that was profitable or teaching you publicly or for house for house. He taught them anything that was profitable, right? And he takes the time to say that twice. And in both instances, he says, I did not avoid, or you may have a different word there, but the word for uh, did not avoid there is kind of shrinking away. 
And the concept that you might want to think about when you think about this term is, um, imagine you have something really important but really hard to say to someone, and you're like, they really need to know this, and I really need to tell them, and then you walk up to them, and you're all ready to say it, and it's about to come out of your mouth, and then something happens, and you go, oh no, I'm not saying that today, and then you shrink away, right, and back up. That's what this term is. He didn't shrink away and say, I have something really important to tell you, but maybe not yet, maybe not right now, maybe I'll do it later um, when I have more courage. That's not what Paul is doing. He is telling them, right, and we know from this and from Paul's other letters, which we had the privilege of reading, um, Paul does not hesitate to tell people what he really thinks and what he thinks they should be doing and where they've gone wrong and to correct them. And so that's not one of Paul's issue. And so he calls them out. But he tells them what is profitable. And we see in verse 27 what I think that looks like. Right? It tells them, I did not avoid declaring to you the whole plan of God. But what does that mean to tell them the whole plan of God? Is this Right from the beginning of time, when God started working and all the way through to the future, everything that God is going to do and all the details all the way through from one end to the other, I don't think that's what it is. And I don't even think he's talking about all of Scripture either, that he told them all the details. What I think he's talking about here is he's telling them the plans and the purposes of God. He's giving them the big picture. Like for us, we might say the big picture of what God is doing is he desires for all nations to come to know him, to love him, and to serve him. And I think Paul, in this, outlined what the specific role of the church in Ephesus and these believers would be in that, of taking the gospel to the nations. And so he told them what God desired for them to do and what God desired for them to be. And so what is it for us, if we kind of turn the corner what is it that God desires for us to do and for us to be? First, God desires for us to be his children, right? To become part of his family. And we see Paul spell that out in verse 21. He reminds us that everything, right, is built on repentance and on faith. And there's two parts to this. The first part is repentance, right? Repentance always carries the idea of turning, Right? I was going one way and I repented or I turned and I went the other way. And it's turning away from something, whether that's something physically, whether that's something spiritually or even intellectually. I changed my mind is sometimes how it is used. Um, and so you could be changing your mind or realizing something that's detrimental to your spiritual life and turning away from it. And while turning away from something is good, if you don't have something to turn to, then most of the time we just end up turning back around and going back and doing the thing that we didn't want to do in the first place. And so we need something to turn to. And so we need the second half, right, to turn from unbelief towards faith in Christ. And so as we turn away from whatever that is, we turn to Christ to overcome that and to change. Whether that's turning away from sin to Christ for the first time as you become a believer or all throughout your life as you turn away from sinful things or selfish things or things that pull you off track and you turn back, right? I think all of those things that we want to do are, I argue, and you can argue with me later on this if you want, all of those things I think come out of unbelief. There is something about God or Christ and what he's done on the cross that you don't believe to be true in that moment, and so you're chasing after something else. So if we turn away, we need to repent and remind ourselves the full truth about who God is and what Jesus has done for us on the cross. 
And so in this, we see that we need a balance between repentance and faith, right? It's like the two wings of an airplane. If you only have one wing, at best, you go in a circle, um, but it's probably not even going in a circle if you've only got one wing. It usually ends up in disaster. So think of it like that, right? You need both sides, repentance of turning away and trusting and putting your faith in Christ, right? And repentance and faith are valuable, and those are the building blocks of our spiritual lives, especially as we form the community of the church, right? Because the church has value, which we see in verse 28, right? He calls them to shepherd the church, which he has purchased with his own blood, Right? What you're willing to pay for something demonstrates how valuable it is. Right? Things are becoming more expensive around us. I think we all have experienced that. And as it does, many of us have to make choices. Right? Is this as important as it used to be, or should I not buy this or spend money on this like I used to do? And Jesus kind of gives us this example, but Jesus didn't pay money for us or for the church. He paid with his blood. He paid with his life. The church was so valuable that he gave his life for it, right? We are purchased by Christ, and so we form this community of people who are purchased, who are valuable in his sight because he gave his life for us. So we have repentance and faith that are valuable, Right? Life-changing as we turn away and from sin and selfish desires and turn to Christ and put our trust in Him. And the church is valuable. It's valuable to be in a community of believers that walk alongside you and encourage you and support you and pray for you. And this factors in, in the next thing that Paul reminds us to do, and that is to be on guard. To be on guard. As anyone who's ever set a goal to try to do anything knows... It's so easy to get off track or to get distracted from your goal, and sometimes you end up even worse than when you started, um, especially if you don't have a good plan. And so Paul cautions the Ephesian elders against this, and he calls them to be on guard. We see this in verses 28 through 31. It says, Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has appointed you as overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he has purchased with his blood, I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Men will rise up even from your own number and distort the truth to lure the disciples into following them. Therefore, be on alert, remembering that night and day for three years, I never stopped warning each one of you with tears. So Paul knows that as he leaves and the church tries to grow, things are going to happen and people are going to try and distract the church from its mission and from the gospel. This is why God gave the church pastors and elders to help keep it on track, to help keeping it moving forward. And he warns them to protect themselves from wolves, both from outside and inside. Right? He tells them it's not a matter of if the wolves show up, but when. And I think there's kind of four different ways to look this, look at this and so from what he says. And the first is, right, he calls them to protect themselves. So first you have to protect yourself from wolves. And the way we do that is by reading Scripture, of reading his word regularly and coming to know and to understand it and putting the pieces together so that we know what is 
true. We know the truth about God so that when we hear something that might be a distortion of the truth, we immediately recognize it. And we say, oh no, that's not true. That's not what I learned in this verse or in this chapter or in this book. So we read scripture. We also, it's also helpful to learn some theology and doctrine alongside that to kind of put pair with what we know to be true in scripture, some outworkings of what we understand in scripture of how we live and how we understand who Christ is. I also want to just caution you just to be wary of new things in church and theology um, because it's unlikely that for the last 2,000 years that nobody thought of it yet. Um, so if it's like, oh, this is a new thing that nobody's discovered yet in 2,000 years, I would be a little skeptical that that would be true um, because I think there's been a lot of things written and a lot of debates and a lot of things happening. So I think we can trust the 2,000 years of history um, to show us things that are true. So if somebody's like, oh, I have something nobody's seen before, um, you might want to be real cautious about what they say after that. But not only to protect ourselves, but right, he also calls them to protect others. Right? We protect others as well. That's why God gives us a church community to bind together, to watch out for one another, to protect one another. And so we do that, I think, by praying for one another, praying for one another to stay focused on the truth. Right? To not be distracted, to not fall away, to be delivered from sin and temptation. We also do this by checking in with each other and asking spiritual questions, right? How are you doing spiritually? Are you giving in to temptation? Are you struggling? How can I pray for you? How can I help you? How can I come alongside you? And sometimes even talking through tough issues of things that are happening in the world around us and asking, how do we respond to this? How do we think about this? How do we talk to other people? What is the danger in this? Or is there danger in this idea or in this concept? Right? And then he says, the wolves will come, and come from two places. First, from outside, right? Be wary of wolves that come in from the outside. Right? I think this is just a reminder that there is an enemy against the church. Right? We're not just doing this in a vacuum where we can do what we want and there's nothing against us, no opposition. There is an enemy that is trying to pull us off track, that is trying to distract you, that is trying to distort the truth, that is trying to make you think things that aren't true whether it's about the gospel or whether it's about yourself, right? So that you feel a certain way, so you drift or turn away or turn to something else to make yourself feel better. So just remember that. But also, the world and our culture seeps into our lives, whether we realize it or not. So we always have to understand what's happening, what it's doing, how it's changing us, how it's looking at us, because worldviews and how you see the world are everywhere. Everything that somebody says to you, everything that you see on TV, everything that you hear on the radio, every movie you watch, there is a worldview behind that that someone is trying to present to you. Whether you realize it or not, that is what's happening. And so we need to be careful and we need to be wary of what those worldviews are pushing on us and what they're saying to us so that we can know what is true and what is not. Right? Not only so we can decipher it and say, I'm not following that, or that disagrees what I believe to be true about the Bible, but I think if we understand that, it also opens the door for us to have conversations with the people around us who see that and experience that and are thinking in that way. It gives us doors and links to say, oh, this is what happened here. 
do you think that's true? Do you think it's not? And then it gives you an open door to share the gospel and the truth of Christ. But he also says, not just from outside, but there will be wolves from inside. Right? People will come from among you, from inside of the church, to try to distort the truth, which I think is way more common than we think it is. Right? It's way more common that the truth is distorted inside the church. And I don't think it's often malicious or evil or anything like that. I think it's people, oh, I heard this, or I saw this on social media, or I heard this book, or I caught this thing, and so we just bring it in. And sometimes we forget to check it before we pass it on to others and say, is this actually true? Does this line up with what Scripture says? So we just need to be careful, right, to battle against distortions of the truth on all levels. And we might say, well, it might be surprising that he would say wolves come from inside. Um, But the last time I checked, we were all still sinners in here, right? We might be saved, we might be delivered, we might be working with the Holy Spirit and the power in Christ in us to overcome that sin, but we're all still battling our sin nature. So there will be times where we will be tempted, where we will say things that we're not supposed to say or think things that we're not supposed to think. So we need to battle that together to protect ourselves from whatever may come. But then he reminds them, right, how he was with them, how he warned them, even sometimes with tears. And that kind of struck me, right, that he would spend this time, and I was like, why would it be in tears? And I think one of the things is he cared about these people so much that he wanted to warn them, he wanted to protect them, he wanted to keep them on track to be grounded in the truths of the gospel. That he was not really afraid or worried, but those are the terms I think we understand of this, that, that they would go off track, and so he cried. He was full of emotion for them to be able to do that. Which made me wonder... Do I care enough about someone else's spiritual well-being that I'm moved to tears? Am I broken enough about somebody else's sin or struggles that I cry about it? And I know some of you cry more easily than others. I get that. But you get the concept behind it. Am I moved emotionally to help this person? Do I care about them that much the way Paul did? And, and we may not, but I think there needs to be something in us that says, this other person is important, and they're in my church, and they're walking with me, or they're a fellow believer that I know at work. And we need to support and encourage one another. And you're moved to do that, not just because you're supposed to, but because you care about them, and you love them, and you want them to move forward. And lastly, he tells us, right, to finish your course. To finish your course, we see this in verses 22 through 24. I'm completely aware I went out of order this morning. It's okay if I do that every once in a while. But he says, And now I'm on my way to Jerusalem, compelled by the Spirit, not knowing what I will encounter there, except that in every town the Holy Spirit warns me that chains and afflictions are waiting for me. But I consider my life to have no value to myself, my purpose is to finish my course in the ministry I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of God's grace. Paul is telling us his, he sees his purpose as finishing the course. And his course was to go to Jerusalem. 
no matter what happened there. Right? And he had an idea of what was going to happen, which we see from these verses, but he went anyway. Which is what we saw in 1921, which I referenced. He resolved by the Spirit to pass through Macedonia and go to Jerusalem. What I didn't read you earlier was the second half of the verse, which says, After I've been there, he said, it is necessary for me to see Rome as well. And so Paul sees his course as going to Jerusalem and then going to Rome to spread the gospel, to testify to the message. He knows the plan that God has for him. And he was determined to follow it no matter where it led him. No matter how many times other people said, we're pretty sure we know what's going to happen to you when you show up in Jerusalem, and it's not going to go well, so maybe you shouldn't go there. He's like, no, I am on this plan that God has sent me. It was a must for Paul, not a, well, I'll get there when I can, or if something happens, maybe we'll go next month or next year. It was, no, I have to go. He was in a hurry to get to Jerusalem. There was urgency and purpose behind what he was doing. And just like Paul, we each have our own course. There is something that God put each of us on this world to do. We all have a purpose. We all have a course to run. Now, we aren't all going to be Paul, right? He was sort of an extreme example of what that might look like. But most of, for most of us, our course is to be faithful and to be obedient and to serve Jesus and understand that no one will ever know our names. We will not be in the Bible. We will not be on the news. We will not be in testimonies. We will not be in stories. But that doesn't mean we're not crucial to the mission of God. We still run our course. We seek God. We ask Him where we go next. Where do we turn? Where do we go? What do you want me to do? And we listen for the Spirit to guide us. And then we obey with purpose and with urgency, just like Paul is doing here. Because Paul reminds us also in this, the end goal, and this is, it's a little out there, but the end goal is actually not survival. Paul's end goal was not survival, to stay as long, alive as long as he possibly could. That's not what his purpose was, right? It says he was compelled by the Holy Spirit to go to Jerusalem. And we have this kind of interesting back and forth. But he says, the Spirit compelled me to go to Jerusalem. But then everywhere I went, the Spirit also said, hey, when you get there, there's going to be chains and there's going to be affliction. But I still want you to go there. I still want you to go there. Which means the Holy Spirit probably isn't always going to lead us to do the most comfortable thing. to do the easiest thing. We may be led to do something out of the ordinary that's a little uncomfortable, that's a little past what we think. Right? Because above all, Paul wanted to be faithful more than he wanted to be physically safe or comfortable. Wherever his path led, whatever was at the end of it, that's where he was going regardless of the consequences. But I was challenged this week. Is that how I think about life? Right? Is my goal just to survive as long as I can? 
right, to live as long as I can, which is a good thing, right, for my children and for my spouse and for people around me. It's great to live a long time. That's great. And yes, that's sort of the goal, and living a long time is great, but how do we look at this, right? Do I choose comfort over obedience? Do I choose a few extra years or a few extra dollars over following Jesus where he leads me? I, I don't know the answer to that right now. It's something I'm thinking about and processing. And most of us are not going to be asked to give our lives like Paul is, right? At least in our lifetime, maybe kids or grandkids may end up in that situation, I think. But for us, we're not going to be called to go somewhere where we're going to be arrested for our faith or put on trial for our faith. But what is God calling you to do? That might be a little or a little different than what you would expect, right? That might be a little risky, a little out of your comfort zone. Because I think we can look at it like this. Our goal is not to stay alive as long as we can, but to live as long as we can with purpose, right? To live as long as we can with purpose, whatever may come. Because Paul tells us here what the end actually is. Right? The end, he says, is to testify to the gospel of God's grace. That's his course, whatever it looked like. And I think that's the same for us as it is for him. Right? We are witnesses to the good news of Jesus, and our purpose is to testify and to tell others the good news. That yes, you may be hurting and broken and feel stuck, like there's no way out, or that the world is broken and falling apart at the seams, and you don't know what to do or how to fix it, or to fix yourself. And that's okay, because we're all sinners. We're all broken. We all need help. And the person that came to help us is Jesus. And he came and he lived a perfect life and demonstrated what that looks like. And not only that, he gave his life for us. He sacrificed himself for us on the cross to break the hold of whatever it is that's holding you back, whatever it is that's hurting, whatever it is that you turn to for comfort that isn't working. He died to break the hold of that so that we could have true life in Him, so that we could have purpose, so that we could be fulfilled, so that we could move forward, so that we could slowly be made whole. And then when we go to be him, with him, to actually be made whole, right? Which is what we saw in Colossians, right? When we get there, we will be like him. We will be whole. We will be holy. So how do we do that? How do we testify to the gospel of God's grace? Well, I think it actually requires some risk, right? You're going to have to do some things that you say, this doesn't really make sense. And this wasn't in my plan, but this is what God is calling me to do. This is what he's asking me to do. This is the next step for me. And so we step out on faith, knowing that whatever comes, whatever happens, right, God will be with us. The other challenge is, for some of you, don't coast at the end, right? Some of you have been around a long time, and you're looking at the end, and you're kind of maybe coasting and just saying, I'm just going to make it and it's going to be okay. Or 
for not just for those, but for even of those of us who are younger, right? I'm too busy with my kids. They take over my life and I don't have any extra time or I can't do anything else. Or your job, right? I'm busy and I work overtime, so I don't have time to do some of the things that I think God is calling me to do. No, we, we seek God and we are faithful and obedient to Him because that is our first purpose, our first priority. Even if it's hard, even if it's difficult, even if we have to sacrifice some other things to do it, right? Remember your purpose to testify to the gospel of God's grace to others. And as Paul wraps up his speech, he reminds them of the foundation that they can depend on, that they can grow on after he is gone. We see, we see in verse 32, And now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all who are sanctified. He calls them to commit to God and to commit to the word of his grace. So we commit ourselves to God. We seek Him in His Word. We seek Him in prayer. We seek His will and we commit to obedience. Then we commit ourselves to the Word of His grace. Because as we seek to finish our race, to finish our course, we won't be perfect. We'll falter. We'll make mistakes. We'll fall down. We'll forget. We'll be afraid. But there's grace in that. That even when we do those things, even when we feel like we fall short, that that's not enough. There is grace for us. Right? That we can confess and repent and be forgiven and move forward and live the life that God has called us to do. Sort of a falling forward. Right? Of doing a little bit better tomorrow than we did today. Just continue that for the rest of our lives. To seek and to follow Him. So that we can finish our race. And to finish it well. So that's what Paul is calling us to do. To know what's important. To watch out for yourself and for others. And to testify to the gospel of God's grace. That's what He's called us to do. As we all seek to finish our race. Will you pray with me? God, we come before you and we thank you for who you are. We thank you for what you've done. We thank you that you give us challenging words and challenging speeches from people like Paul that um, push us out of our comfort zones and make us think about how we're living or the goal of our lives in a different way than we are normally thinking about it. So God, I pray for all of us in this room that you would help us to seek you that you would help us to seek your course that you have for us. What is our race? What is our purpose? What is our piece of your plan? And to live that out fully, to be committed, to be obedient, to be faithful. No matter what may come, no matter what the circumstances may be, no matter if it costs us money or health or time, or whatever it is, that we would trust in you and your plan and say, I don't know what's going to happen. All I know is this is where God wants me to go. This is where God wants me to do. And that would be enough for us, that we would be faithful in obedience to follow his call, whatever they may look like. 
It's in your name I pray. Amen.